This is Gulf Coast Life Arts Edition from WGCU. I'm John Davis. Thanks for joining us. The Southwest Florida Symphony Orchestra is kicking off a new performance season with a new artistic and music director with Maestro Radu Papanyu. He's just the sixth music director for the symphony in its 62-year history. The orchestra's search for a new conductor was a nearly three-year process, but at the end of the day, the leadership they were looking for was already in their own backyard. Since 2017, Papanyu has conducted the Naples Philharmonic Orchestra at Artist Naples in more than 100 different performance programs. He also served as associate conductor and youth orchestra director for the Naples Philharmonic. As a guest conductor, he's appeared with major orchestras throughout the U.S. and internationally. Papanyu's music education began in his native Romania, where he began his violin studies at the age of seven. He came to the U.S. through the Perlman Music Program and earned two degrees in violin performance at Colburn Conservatory in Los Angeles before completing a Master of Music degree in orchestral conducting at the New England Conservatory of Music in Boston. And and ever since Massachusetts loss has been Southwest Florida's gain. Radu Papanyu, welcome to Gulf Coast Life Arts Edition. Thank you so much. It's so good to be here. And we're also joined by the Southwest Florida Symphony Orchestra's Community Outreach Ambassador. If you've been in the area for any amount of time, you know the name, you know the face, you know the voice. It's Robert Van Winkle. <laughs> After a more than three-decade-long career in television, Robert retired in 2017 as Chief Meteorologist for NBC2 here in Fort Myers. And his longtime passion for classical music eventually led him here. Robert Van Winkle, thanks for uh, taking the time to be with us. And thank you very much. It's great to be here. And to engage with us and your fellow listeners about this conversation or any of our shows, find us on Facebook. We're at WGCU Public Media. On Twitter, we're at WGCU. Use the hashtag GCL. Now, Rondo, I can't wait to dive into your background and, and what the Southwest Florida Symphony has in store this season. But first, Robert, as we're all still recovering from Hurricane Ian, I wanted to yeah. highlight how the symphony's plans have been impacted and how the organization has responded and worked to help the community recover. Well, it's been a real challenge. You know, all of the arts community in this area has been hit hard just in the last two years. I mean, first we had to get through COVID, and now we have to get through a major hurricane strike. So uh, the Southwest Florida Symphony Orchestra turned our first concerts of the season, the mini Masterworks concerts, into benefit concerts. We were able to perform at one out of the three venues that we had pre-planned. Two of the venues were knocked out, but we turned them into uh, benefit concerts for hurricane relief, and uh, it was very successful. We raised close to $5,000 thanks to the local community and to the people that helped us with the the new venues. Yeah, well, fantastic. And where are you going to hear great quality classical music at a brewery? You know? uh, I know. Was... We were in a brewery <laughs> and a bar in Punta Gorda. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was a great turnout, and, uh, and it does show that people uh, love to support the arts in Southwest Florida. All right. And, and before we start highlighting the uh, upcoming performance program, Radu, let's learn a little about you. Uh, I understand when you were young, you had initially expressed interest in the guitar, but your body was just a little too small at that time. That's that's what I was told. My my grandmother bought me a guitar. I was seven years old, and I was looking for a teacher, and I was told the guitar is just a little bit too big, but you should start with another string instrument, and they recommended the violin. I started playing the violin, and in the first year and a half or so, I did a few competitions. I liked that. I did pretty well in the competitions, so it all of a sudden it became the thing that I was... Uh, doing to the point that by the time I was 12, my family did a big sacrifice and they moved me from my hometown to the capital of Romania, Bucharest, so I could study music there at the Georgianesco Music 
high school, which is one of the most uh, prestigious music schools in in Romania. And around that same time, I understand you had the opportunity to tour and perform all over Europe with the Central European Youth Orchestra. Tell me about that. There was a wonderful project. Uh, there was a conductor, Italian conductor, Igor Coretti Kuretz, who went and auditioned uh, students all over Europe. And uh, when I was in eighth grade, I auditioned in Bucharest, I remember very well, and I was accepted into the orchestra, and I ended up doing it for the next three years. And what would happen, we would go usually in Slovenia or Italy, but we spent a lot of time in Slovenia rehearsing for a couple weeks somewhere in the mountains. And there were uh, musicians from all the country's members of the Century European Initiative. So for a young musician, it was really a wonderful experience because you, you got to meet people of so many different cultures and we all had this thing in common which was music we would rehearse for a couple of weeks very intensely all day long pretty much and have good food and then we would start touring for the next couple of uh, weeks so it was a great bonding experience and we also we got to discover some of the great symphonic repertoire for the first time yeah and getting to live like professional touring musicians that's kind of great um so tell me about how you got involved in the pearlman uh, summer music program because it seems like that might be what initially brought you to the U.S. Exactly. That, that is exactly okay. what brought me to the United States for the, for the very first time. It was actually my mother that was researching programs all over the world. Uh, it was during a Christmas break. I was at home, and she ran across the Perlman Music Program on Shelter Island, New York. I, of course, knew Itzhak Perlman. I was a huge fan, and when I saw the program, it, I mean, it just seemed absolutely fantastic. My first uh, reaction was, oh, well, I, I, I don't think I can get into that. And it's it's I, a Perlman. I, yeah. I know. And I was, a little bit, I was a little bit overwhelmed by the prospect of that. But my mom insisted, and we ended up sending an application. And to my big surprise, uh, three months later, I received a call. I remember I was on the street, and they were calling me, you know, getting this call in English and telling me that I was accepted into the Pro Music program. And it was an experience that truly uh, changed my life. I absolutely loved it there. The level was just fantastic. It's a promo, and that's the only thing he does for those seven weeks. He's there for every everything, for every single meal. You have violin lessons uh, with him. You play chamber music with him. You sing in the chorus, and he sings as well. He conducts the orchestra, and... Pretty much every day ends with a sight reading chamber party, which everybody gets together and we sight read pieces of chamber music. The everything about it was fantastic, and they they really provide a very nurturing environment for young musicians. So it, it really led to my decision to want to audition at conservatories in the United States because I love that experience so much. All right. And, and, and again, I mentioned earlier two degrees in, in violin performance, but I'm really curious about what prompted you to make that transition or expansion from music performer to conductor, um, because that's not a path every professional level classical musician chooses to take. It's true. Now, when I was uh, participating in the Central European uh, Initiative Youth Orchestra in Europe, for a couple of years I played a concertmaster of that orchestra, which means you're the first violinist and you're, you're leading uh, a little bit with body language uh, as well. And I was also, for some reason, for, for the last four years I was in the music high school in Bucharest, I also was a concertmaster of an orchestra that also toured a little bit uh, around Europe. So I had a lot of 
experience doing that with the violin. But then what happened, I was at the Colburn Conservatory in uh, Los Angeles, and my violin uh, teacher, uh, Robert Lipset, uh, this was during my sophomore year, he he saw me perform with a string quartet. He also he saw me uh, he saw me play the violin in, in in the lessons, and he just thought I was moving perhaps just a little bit too much, but in a good way musically. Uh, the story is that he also saw me play ping pong, and he thought I was very natural at that as <laughs> okay. as well. And the combination of all all these things together, he said you should really try conducting. So I took an unofficial conducting class was happening every weekend, every Saturday. And uh, Colbert didn't actually have a conducting program, but that worked to my advantage because I was, at the time, the only person interested, and they really gave me a lot of opportunities. And one of the very first things uh, I did, they have uh, an outreach series. Uh, They have one week every single semester where they take the Colbert, the Conservatory Orchestra, into schools uh, around the Los Angeles County, and they present concerts for students. And sometimes there's three concerts in one morning. You'd be playing for 35 minutes. There's a break. They bring a whole new set of students. And uh, I led those performances for a number of years. And I I really gained a lot of experience that way. And while I was still at Colburn, I also auditioned for the American Youth Symphony. They they had an assistant conductor position. And uh, I won that position. And I I did that for four years uh, as well, before officially studying uh, conducting in a degree at the New England Conservatory in Boston. Right. And, and skipping ahead to, you know, joining at the helm of the Southwest Florida Symphony, what was it that attracted you to this position? I mean, is it, I mean, because this is, this is a little bit of new territory for you in terms of being the director, the music director. Absolutely. Well, uh, first of all, I love Southwest Florida and I, you know, I'm very proud to call it my home for the past five years. I really, I've had such a wonderful time. Uh, here, I, I I knew of the Southwest Florida Symphony because uh, I was conducting uh, in Naples, and I've also I've come to a few uh, concerts. I've also conducted uh, a couple of uh, education concerts uh, prior to my audition with the Southwest Florida uh, Symphony. Now, I have to say, during my trial week uh, last year, I really just felt a great connection with the uh, with the musicians uh, of the orchestra. I really felt that they were giving everything, every single minute. And it was one of those performances uh, from the past season that I I just truly cherish. And I really wanted to make music with them. And I cannot wait for the moment uh, we do it again. From what I understand, that connection with the musicians was pretty mutual. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully. That's that's what a conductor dreams of. Because the the beauty about conducting uh, and what, what is difficult about it is that when you conduct, you're not actually making any sound uh, yourself. So you're constantly depending on the musicians. And I think uh, a great recipe for a conductor is to respect every single musician uh, on stage. They are incredible musicians in their own right with great ideas about music. And I think the role of the conductor is to really bring those forces together to create something really great. All right. Absolutely. All right. Well, Robert, I'm going to pivot back to you and highlight a, a bit of what's in store for the, the, the pop series coming ahead. Um, the first being uh, Remember When Rock Was Young, 
the Elton John tribute. Who doesn't love Elton John, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> we actually have uh, uh, three nights of holiday pops in December coming up in just a few weeks. Uh, those those holiday pops concerts are going to be in Punta Gorda and out at Shell Point and uh, in Bonita Springs at the First Presbyterian Church. A, a nice way for the family to celebrate the holidays. But you're right. The first Brave New Pop series is going to be a tribute to Elton John. That's going to be on January 20th and 21st. Barbara B. Mann and at the Charlotte Performing Arts Center. Uh, the guy is pretty good. I've seen him, and uh, he, he really does channel uh, that Elton John music really, really well. Wonderful. And, and then the next in that series is going to be February 11th and 12th, uh, a symphonic tribute, David Bowie and Philip Glass. Yeah, now, uh, this is kind of interesting. David Bowie and Philip Grass, Glass knew each other in Berlin back in the 70s, and they kind of corroborated their ideas musically, and they got to be pretty good friends. Uh, Glass, of course, a prolific uh, composer, and David Bowie, who doesn't know, you know the music from him. Kind of a strange couple, though, bedfellows, right? Yeah. So you can imagine there must have been some beer involved in their whole <laughs> conversation going on there. So this tribute musically is is really a neat blend of that classical style versus the uh, the David Bowie style, boy style as well. Yeah, so I mean, conceptually it makes sense, but I, I can't even imagine what it's going to sound like. I can't wait to come I, to that. I'm looking forward to that, too. And for those of you folks that don't know, the Southwest Florida Symphony Orchestra has two offerings of concerts, basically, our pop series, which is that blend of contemporary music and classical. And then, uh, of course, Radu will tell you a little bit more about our Masterworks, the full classical series. So we have two more. Do you want me to, one more. Do you want me to get to that? Oh, we're not going to leave Electric Light Orchestra dun, on the table. Dun, dun, <laughs> dun, 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 I love ELO. I grew up with ELO. As a matter of fact, I could draw the spaceship on, a, on a, one of my notepads from ELO, you know, with a little thing going mm. in. Oh, my gosh. So Electric Light Orchestra. And the cool thing about this concert. It is in May. It's our last concert of the season, May 6th at the Barbara B. Mann, May 7th at Charlotte Performing Arts Center. This will feature five of the original musicians from ELO in the in the band. I mean, how else can you pay tribute to ELO without, you know, the original people? Wonderful. It's wonderful. great. Um, yes. And if right I on. may add something about the Brave New Pops One, this will be on January 20th, uh, in at Charles Performing Arts, Arts Center and also January 21st at Barbara B. Mann. This is an Elton John tribute, and I will be conducting uh, this one. And just a side note, uh, I'm really very excited about this, and I'm sure your listeners might remember from Three Song Stories, and one of my favorite songs was actually uh, Rocket Man, so I'm really very oh, much looking forward right. to this concert. Okay, excellent. Very good. <laughs> um, you know, the symphony kind of has, has developed a reputation for performances that break down that barrier between, you know, the classical and the contemporary and the barrier between the genres. I think three years in a row, um, because of this organization, I've gotten to speak with composer Steve Hackman, you know, blending Beethoven and Beyonce, yeah. Bach and Bruno Mars, <laughs> you know, Lady Gaga and Brahms. Uh, is this kind of a continuation in that? And do you see that as a way to, to bring in new audiences? Oh, absolutely. I mean, an orchestra can't survive on just classical music, to be honest, obviously. And you have to get butts in the seats. Yeah. I mean, you really need to get people in the hall. So this is the way to do it if you really want that blend and that new experience of live music. And I also, I really think that the orchestra uh, of the future is an orchestra that is truly relevant to every member of its community in one way or another. So I think that's something that... Uh, is really very important. I think it's happening very much this season that there is a little bit of something 
for everybody. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, if you're just joining the show, we're highlighting the Southwest Florida Symphony's coming performance season in a conversation with the new conductor and music and artistic director, Maestro Rado Papanyu, and the symphony's community outreach ambassador, Robert Van Winkle. Again, if you'd like to comment on our conversation or engage with fellow listeners, we're on Facebook at WGCU Public Media and on Twitter at WGCU using the hashtag GCL. So the Masterwork Series, January 28th, Gil Shaham. Tell me about this program, Radu. Well, we're very, very excited to welcome uh, Gil Shaham to Southwest Florida Symphony. Uh, we were speaking of Itzhak Perlman earlier. Gil Shaham is also one of my uh, idols. I got to work a little bit with him at the Aspen Music Festival in Colorado when I was a student. I got to perform along him, but now to be able to to work with him as a conductor, it, it's really a, a dream of mine that is coming true, and I'm so happy it's happening here in uh, in Fort Myers. It's a very exciting program. We're starting with uh, Mozart's Overture to the Magic Flute. This is Mozart's last opera. It's written a few months before uh, he passed away. It's a wonderful piece, and it was very, very important for me that we also had a classical work somewhere in the season because I think it really forces the orchestra to, to listen in such a careful way and to try to match everything they're doing just perfectly, the articulation, the intonation every single detail has to be uh, perfect and i i love uh, to start a season with that uh, idea on the second half we have the tchaikovsky symphony uh, number 4 this is uh, a big celebratory piece uh, particularly in the finale it's really tchaikovsky's take and let's say conversation with uh, destiny and uh, the big conclusion of it is that there isn't much that we can uh, do to try to change uh, destiny, but it's, it's really one of those uh, pieces that uh, has its uh, eternal, I would say, place in the repertoire. Uh, you just can't go wrong with it. And I wanted to start a season on a very celebratory uh, note. Yes, yeah, sometimes uh, known as fate, nicknamed for that symphony. Um, so the second Masterworks performance, March 11th. Um, I'm a cellist, so I'm partial. Thomas Mesa <laughs> is coming. Uh, um, I understand that you two actually met several years ago at some residency program. That's correct. Where we were talking about the Perlman Music that, program oh, that, earlier. Was that one. Oh, That's okay. exactly where we met. We were doing a residency in Stowe, Vermont. It was a three, four-day residency. And I, I met him, I remember very clearly, because it was a beautiful scene. We were by a fireplace, and we were playing card games. And that's when I first met uh, Tommy Mesa. He's a fantastic cellist. And the Dvorak Cello Concerto, it's, it's what it's, I would say, one of the greatest concertos ever written in the genre. But to me, it's more than that. It's really like another symphony, because or the orchestra's role is just as important. And even in the tutis, one of the longest opening tutis that we have in the repertoire, there's a wonderful horn solo, and you hear both themes, and orchestra's role is extraordinarily uh, involved. There's a wonderful concertmaster solo towards uh, the end of the concerto. It's just one of those pieces that you dream of doing every single uh, day. I've read Mesa referred to as the accidental cellist because he actually didn't start playing till he was around 12. So for the level of virtuosity he's achieved, that's pretty remarkable. That is absolutely amazing. Um, so um, let's go ahead and move on to April, where we have uh, the symphony teaming up with Opera Naples. Would this kind of be an ideal concert for somebody who 
doesn't think they're into opera and oh, maybe is yes. going to discover they are. <laughs> this is a lot of fun. This is a, a, sort of a repeat idea. The symphony's done this in the past. And uh, if you don't think you like opera, I can almost guarantee you that this concert would be something you'll enjoy because you're going to get to hear the best of the pieces of music in the operas. Not just one opera, but lots of operas. Right. I would even go further. If you've never been to an orchestra concert and you want to try it out, uh, I would like to call this a first date with the symphony. I think it's the perfect uh, opportunity. You will hear uh, a few orchestral numbers, a couple of overtures and some intermezzo in there and some of the most famous moments in opera and... uh, Robert will be narrating with a few interruptions from uh, myself. <laughs> okay. He hasn't told me what those are going to be yet, <laughs> so I'm kind of interested in that. But, but a little bit of narration, especially with opera, it really makes the enjoyment level go up because if you know just a few things about what you're going to hear, you could hear it in any language and you're still going to get it. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's really this one, uh, it's on April 1st, is, is one to check out. And it's really an invitation from us to come and experience uh, the orchestra, even if it is for the first time. I promise you it will be a very enjoyable and comfortable experience. Wonderful. And the final Masterworks performance is going to feature soloist Ying Li on the piano, playing the ever-popular Rachmaninoff Piano Concerto Number 2. A live performance of this piece is as much a feast for mm-hmm. the eyes as it is for the ears because it's so physically demanding for the soloist. Um, what can you tell me about this program? Absolutely. And we are presenting Ying Lee. This is also a partnership, a collaboration with the Grand Piano Series of Naples. This program, I would say overall, the overarching theme is a little bit a night at the museum. And there's a visual element both in Blue Cathedral and also in uh, Mussorgsky's pictures at an exhibition. Rachmaninoff's concerto is uh, one of those pieces. It's a little bit like the Vorja concerto that really defines the genre. And we're talking about romanticism at its most powerful uh, stance. And it is definitely an audience pleaser. And also it's it has so many notes actually in the piano part that just seeing what the hands do is already impressive in itself. But we are really, really looking forward to this collaboration with English. She's a very, very young and very talented uh, pianist. And, and, and more broadly, Radu, can you tell me about your approach to curating a concert program? Because in the Masterwork series in particular, I'm sensing this pattern where we start off with this great piece from a perhaps lesser-known contemporary composer. And I notice you've often chosen women composers who, who who generally go underrepresented. Then there's the piece featuring the soloist, of course. And then we finish things off with something just sort of well-known and beloved from the symphony orchestra repertoire. This kind of feels intentional. Absolutely. And it's one of my favorite parts of the job, just to be able to, to program and to think of programs and... If I were to to give just one word answer, it would be I'm looking for a theme and I'm looking for balance. And that was two words. (laughs) 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 Two good words. (laughs) But I was really thinking uh, balance. And I'm thinking uh, balance in terms of how much from one period do we have? Or are we thinking the whole program is from the same historical period? Are we thinking there's a theme that ties everything together or simply we just want the, the program to be balanced in the sense that there isn't too much slow, too much fast in a row. There isn't too much in the same 
key? What is the orchestration? That's very important because uh, sometimes if you have a piece that the orchestra is much, much bigger, you, the musicians are already there. You might want to use those forces in the other uh, pieces as well. But I am trying to always go for varied programs that are there is always something that is tying them together and they're very well balanced. All right, well said. Robert, tell me about your passion for classical music and where that stems from and maybe how that's led you to where you are now because it's 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 not a direct <laughs> A to B path. Some of your listeners are probably saying, how did the weatherman get to be the community outreach ambassador for an orchestra? I, I truly have loved classical music for a good long time chunk of my life. I went to a young person's concert uh, when I was in fifth grade in Arizona. The concert was held in Tempe, Arizona at ASU in Grady Gamage Auditorium, big, beautiful hall designed by Frank Lloyd Wright. I'd never heard an orchestra concert before. They actually played Tchaikovsky, and I believe it was part of the symphony number no. four. In any case, that kind of music, that sound, just blew me away, and I've been a fan ever since. If I have to pick something to listen to on the radio, it's usually uh, some some classical piece. So it's a dream job. After I left television, I thought, what am I going to be when I grow up? And yeah. I think I finally found it. <laughs> All right. And while we're on the topic of you know fostering this interest in the youth, tell us about the, the Student Rush Ticket Program. Student Rush is a wonderful program that's supported by some patrons of the Southwest Florida Symphony Orchestra in that we are able to offer university students or students out of high school a chance to come to a concert that they can afford. Everybody knows tickets to a concert you know, can cost a little bit of money depending on where you sit. But if you come to the box office an hour before showtime, show your ID, you can get the best available seat we have for five bucks. So if you're a poor student and you're looking for something different to do, Student Rush is the name of the program. Show up with your ID an hour before the concert or even 15 minutes before the concert. Just come and we'll get you in for five bucks at the best seat we can do be available. All right. And, and in addition to this robust performance season schedule, does the symphony remain committed to, to you know fostering growth and development among young people with a serious interest in studying and performing? Like we're you have these uh, scholarship competitions that you've done in the past. Are those going to continue into 2023? Absolutely. The Young Persons Concert uh, is coming up in uh, February with the Lee County Schools District. We're going to have over 1,800 fourth and fifth graders come, and hopefully some of those kids will be able to have the experience I had when I was in fifth grade. Um, that's a, a big project of ours, school visits uh, and getting musicians into classrooms and really hoping to spread the message that classical music is not not dead. There's a lot of young people that really, really love this kind of music, and there's more out there. They just need to get the exposure and hear it uh, to become as excited about it as Radu and I are. All right. And, and lastly, I, I want to give this plug to the new Sharp Listening podcast that the two of you host. That's his baby. Okay, he came your... up with that title. Isn't that great? Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about this, because I'm getting the sense that as future episodes come out, this would be a great thing for audiences to listen to beforehand to enhance their appreciation, help them become active listeners. Absolutely. And the title, uh, Sharp Listening, the idea there is that if you listen to the podcast prior to a performance, you will be listening uh, with a different attention to to the detail. You'll have that much more background, and the listening experience will be in, enhanced. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the performances are always previewed by uh, the conductor. In this case, of course, Radu will be, in, be doing that this year. Right before the concert, an hour before, he'll have a, a live 
sort of a Q&A session in the hall. But the podcast idea gives you an idea of how you can listen to this and be prepared. If you can't make it to the concert an hour before, you get to hear all about it through the podcast. So. And that is part of my mission as a conductor and as music director of the Southwest Florida Symphony to try to engage with audiences in every format possible. Wonderful. And uh, that is about all the time we have for today's show. But I want to thank my guests. We've been joined in studio by the Southwest Florida Symphony's new conductor and music and artistic director, Maestro Radu Papanyu, and the symphony's community outreach ambassador, Robert Van Winkle. For more information on performances or schedules or to secure your tickets, visit swflso.org. Great to speak with both of you. Thank you. Thank Thank you you so much. If you missed any of today's show, you can always hear episodes in their entirety on our website, wgcu.org slash gcl or subscribe to our podcast feed wherever you get your podcast. Our show today was produced by Jared Gonzalez and yours truly. Our director is Richard Chinqui. Our social media coordinator is Tara Callaghan. For now, thanks for listening. I'm John Davis. This is WGCU-FM Fort Myers 90.1 WMKO Marco Island 91.7 FM NPR for Southwest Florida.